Welcome to In Conversation With. Join me, Danny Jarvis, as I sit down with guest DJs, promoters, record labels, content makers, and anyone making moves on the underground house music scene. There's plenty of nostalgia, but there's also some key insights as to where the underground scene is today. So if you like what you hear, please hit the follow or subscribe button and leave us a review. Wherever you will listen to your podcasts, at the gym, in the car, or chilled at home. Relax and enjoy In Conversation With. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, um, yeah. No, this is doing the favour. <laughs> it's like... We're doing the reverse interview um, than, than we did, I think it was back in April last year. I've just, I was just looking to check. Um, so the last time we spoke on a podcast was, yeah, it was April for the Backtracks thing. So um, I guess for people that are going to be listening to, to my show, one of the things that we've been doing uh, just recently, which, which is an idea we'd had um, originally, was to try and hook up with different people from different aspects of the scene that you're now obviously heavily involved with and and you you come at it from quite a different angle than some of the people that I've spoke to and some of the people that I've got lined up to speak to who are more on the music production side or they get their hands dirty in the DJing. <laughs> who actually um, do this stuff. <laughs> yeah, who 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 do it. Whereas you come at it in, in a very different way um, from what I would, you know, describe as a content creator. So I guess the first thing is maybe to introduce yourself a little bit and, and sort of describe how you got started on, on your current path. My name's William Noglos, and um, I'm calling from, I'm based on the Jersey Shore over uh, in New Jersey. If you look out my window, you can actually see pretty much Manhattan. Uh, it's only like 15 miles away point to point from me, but it takes like an hour and a half to go in. So I'm kind of like in the New York scene and the two things that I do are I run Super Progressive, which is my Instagram page and YouTube channel about the history of progressive house music. And then I also work as Danny Tanaglia's um, social media manager. So those are kind of my two uh, two footprints. No biggie. <laughs> no, I mean, I like it's really not that, I don't know. It's nothing on the level of like what, uh, I don't know, what the DJs and what the producers are doing. It's pretty safe to say that's that's up there, you know. Um, <laughs> you've had a quite an unconventional kind of entry point into the scene. As we sort of just said, then a lot of people kind of like myself got obsessed early doors with with DJing or were lucky enough to be to be in the scene when it kind of exploded in different ways. And when we when we first met and you started doing this, you were I don't think you were living in New York then, were you? No, I was over in Los Angeles. That's where correct. I kind of so, kicked this so, off. Talk me through that period, because when we met, you were in Los Angeles, you were doing a different job. What's happened? What's changed? Yeah, well, I'll kind of give you the story from the start. Like, how how I always have been aware of electronic music um, was through my older cousin, Ned Shepard. And he uh, DJs and produces with Sultan. And so growing up to me, that was always like me going to see them at EDC, my first gig ever, me going to see them at different festivals, different club nights. But I was pretty young. I was like 16, 17 years old in high school. They were awesome to bring me along. They were kind of on, you know, the EDM sound was exploding in the USA at that time. Like I was a kid in high school, just like loving it. And, um, you know, they had some tracks on 
Tiesto's like Club Life Volume 2. They had walls on that. So I always just thought it was so cool. My older cousin was a DJ. And then flash forward about 10 years, right? Um, I was doing, after I graduated school, I was a journalism student. I went to Northwestern University and went to go work at ESPN for a year as a producer on SportsCenter. Uh, which oh, is nice. like, which is like the big, the big sports show. But I was always like sports journalist. That was like kind of my career, what I went to school to do as my great grandpa did. Um, so, but after ESPN, I couldn't, I couldn't do the overnight shifts anymore because I was like moving my schedule around to maybe work like 10 AM to 6 PM on a Saturday to be able to take the train into New York, to go to the clubs at night. And then get back to Connecticut in time to uh, get to my shift at 3 p.m. So it's so, it like a three hour. So you socialize yeah. getting in, in in the way of your work life. Oh, dude, I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. And um, and yeah, so I actually uh, moved after ESPN moved to Chicago, event production business. Me and a student at Northwestern who became one of my best friends, and uh, we had this awesome company together. It was his company, and I went to work for him it was like event production in Chicago for Northwestern students, but also some corporate, you know, corporate co like clients of mine, of friends that I had to went on to work at like, you know, jobs in Chicago and stuff. So we would do events for them too. And then, uh, you know, my friend Nick and I, we started doing like, we did like a club night in Chicago that was really well. And we were always super passionate about this music, event production company going great, COVID everything mm. and what i decided to do was like shift my passion for this music from the event production side uh even though i wasn't i didn't i wasn't in the progressive house scene at all i didn't know the history at all but this is just building up to me moving out to los angeles when i moved out to la i went up to my cousin ned who was kind of always my person in the scene and i was like hey i really want to use this time to do a project i'm close to you i would love to like you know, I'm thinking of doing a podcast. I uh, There's this awesome skateboarding podcast called The Nine Club that basically was just a bunch of skaters interviewing other skaters. But what they really got into was the history of the scene. And it made someone who didn't grow up skateboarding like me super into it. Like I was just like, super, I loved the stories. The people in it were super cool. You could go back and watch all the videos on YouTube. And it was just an awesome podcast to get lost in this subculture and I was like somebody I, I wasn't like I you know other people have done it but I was like I want to try and do this for DJing and so I talked to Ned and at first I thought I'd be creating like him a podcast where he could host and like and you know have his DJ friends on but he really encouraged me just to one do it myself and two he gives me gives me this record box, bro. And it's filled. I'm over his house the first week I'm in LA. And he goes like, yo, I have something for you. Record box, like the old aluminum record box filled with global underground double albums and Renaissance mixes and all this shit. It was so sick. But that's how I got, you know, I was basically gifted a collection of 20 global underground double box sets with all the album notes. And like, how do you not fall in love with it when that just like falls into your lap? Because whether yeah. it's, the second you put on the mix, the second you look at one of those double boxes or the second you read Dom Phillips album notes, for me, it just clicked instantly. So 
we kind of came up, he came up for the idea for me to like cover this era, cover global underground to this era of music because, you know, Sultan, Sultan and Ned, but like Sultan has some huge productions on deep dishes, like GU 25 and stuff like that. And it was just a scene that he found cool that he kind of like, just like passed on some wisdom to me to be like, you should get like curious about this if you like it. And, you know, we're listening to like Paul Oakenfold GU 004 in Oslo and at Ned's house. And I'm just like, this is so cool. And, um, and yeah, so I'm trying to think what, what really came next was uh, we like started making some history videos about global underground. And this is, this is where I was going with this. So the same time I started making just like a first YouTube video about the history of global underground, one like super important thing happened, which was I joined a group on Facebook called Progressive House Classics. And Progressive House Classics was like, at the time it's grown now, but I think when I joined, it was like maybe like 15 or 20,000 people in this Facebook group. And these are just the most dedicated fans on earth um, posting this music, like all the time, 24 seven, but it's a really quality group. And the guys who run it are like totally, not only about the music, but their fingerprints have been on the scene too. Like they're people that have been there since the beginning. So they have, they run it. They just run a great group. And for me, it was this place to one bounce some of my like original videos into and get feedback and like, you know, just like interact with this audience. But two, it just became such a resource for me to be able to type into a, a name of the song that I was curious about in the group. And that song has been posted six or seven times with 50 or 60 comment threads. And all of a sudden for me, even though I didn't get to experience this, you know, I'm 28 years old, born in 1994. So I didn't get to experience at all the GU message boards. But for me, this is what that might have been like. Just like the awesome back and forth, the chiming in of the producers who, um, the chiming in of the producers who made the tracks that were posted about giving backstories. So, um, so that group was huge for me to like really learn what this scene was about, see what the people value, see who the heroes of this scene are, who the unsung heroes of this scene are. Um, and yeah, I kept like making these little animated videos of global underground, like about global underground posting them in this group, posting them to YouTube. And eventually we got to interview Paul Oakenfold just over Zoom, not recorded on anything to make our Global Underground animated video about GU007. And um, that was cool because that the video was great, but we also got to then go interview. That interview turned into an interview about the Goa mix. Um, with uh how, with paul how did, that, how did that come about then i mean that's because i i remember and and you know for a little bit of research before we came on tonight i went back and looked at some of your early posts and i think particularly for me an, an early adopter of your stuff i really loved that content rich that graphics i'd not seen that before you you'd kind of brought back to life uh, resurrected from the dead into kind of like the new digital era, those albums and that artwork. So how did, how did that come about that you would, that you would get hold of Paul? Yeah. So first of all, just like talking about content stuff, I love what you said because, um, 
so so much of the time I feel like an idiot more or less because everything I know about this scene is like based on either research or talking to people like you because I wasn't there so I always have this thing it's like imposter syndrome yeah it's like exactly major imposter syndrome but it's like okay so you have to really kind of get creative of like what can you offer this scene if you weren't there and you're interested about it and I was like well I'm probably on Instagram more than every other person in this community, more or less. Like I'm like, you know, a kid that grew up with Instagram and stuff. So it's like, uh, how can I translate that? Just like, how can I translate that old information, repackage it into this new medium Instagram where no one's really gone out and like, and, um, and put it out on Instagram outside of just like scans and stuff. So that's where you saw like those like drawings that we were doing and like trying to look at other accounts that were doing cool stuff with graphic design. And and my thing was always the caption writing. And that was like me basically looking at Dom Phillips's work, whether that's in Mixmag or with the Global Underground album notes and just seeing how passionate and how academic, like how how serious he took his writing about this scene and it gave me the green light to be like, this is something that you can treat super seriously as a journalist. So yeah. I think, I think like those, along with the videos, like the way I was kind of reaching an audience were those 2200 character maxed out captions to kind of like just show that you're putting in the work and trying to do all this research. So when we posted the video about Paul, and then he gets to see like the extended caption and then more importantly, the comments from everybody else that this like sparked a nostalgic memory and, and the paragraphs of comments they were writing in. And I think that's where like the seeds of magic that gave us the confidence to say to really, and in terms of getting Paul, it's, it just comes down to Paul being a freaking legend and he didn't have to give us a chance whatsoever. We really had nothing to show and he's just, he just gave us a break and invited us over to interview him. Some of it may have been because of like just the enthusiasm we were showing on the social media channels. But I think really what it comes down to is just Paul did us a solid and he's a good guy. And I'll always be like thankful for him having no reason, no reason to say yes whatsoever. He's like, yeah, I mean, Maybe it was because we were living in LA 10 minutes, like we were 10 minutes away from his house. It was just very lucky, I'd say, over Star, everything. Stars aligned, really. I mean, let, let me just let me just reassure you. First off, you know, I obviously jumped in there to finish your sentence. <laughs> imposter syndrome. Millions of people, even if they do know what they're doing, suffer from imposter syndrome. But I can reassure you that the level of detail, the knowledge, the effort, and the creativity that you put in and you have put in since far outweighs the fact that you weren't there. I think a lot of people try and own their part of the scene or own their memories in a different way. But what I saw straight off and what I loved was that fusion of, like you say, sort of, for me, very evident journalistic skills, but also the passion because it's, as, you, as you'll probably agree, and I find this, I'm in marketing, so, you know, 
I don't necessarily sell products, but you sell ideas, you sell ideas internally to people, you try and put things together to show them what this could look like. And the whole thing is that you're trying to get people excited about a thing or a project. And to do that takes lots of different skills, either media skills, creativity, writing, pulling together presentations, knowing your sums, doing all these things. And then you go, hey, look at this. And it's all to get it to market, to get more people interested in that thing. That's a skill. I was either way around. I already had a garage full of this stuff. You know, once you can't play CDs anymore, but you love all the thing and then you move house and you put it in a box and then you put it in a cupboard and then you did and we moved into this big house and I had this massive garage and I could put everything in there and I'd get it all sorted and out came the old CD player and I started getting fit and doing weights and I was like, ah, oh, you know, there's all my CDs, there's an old CD player. And I kind of took the opportunity to listen to each disc on the Global Undergrounds and the Renaissance because it was about the time of a workout. And, and this is what dawned on me really is that at the time I was bored, the job I was doing, I was, I was bored. There wasn't enough creativity. I worked with a brand that was the fifth biggest brand in the world. They just gave you everything. They just said, here's all the pictures. Here's what we want you to say. Here's what we want to do. Here's the channels you're going to go on. Oh, and can you do the odd thing? And I was just like, oh, farming it out. And I had this burning creativity to kind of like write stuff, actually like put things together. So, so similar to you, but maybe from a different direction, I was like, this music was great, you know, this artwork was amazing and I'd kept everything in really good condition as well. So there was no like creases and it was just a case of going, well, I'll, you know, pho phones, for example, on cameras. This is like four, four or five years ago, even four or five years ago, they weren't the cameras they are on phones now. So I was still sort of taking the time to position everything, take good pictures of it. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do this. I set off in this direction. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make all this content and I'm going to put it there and I'm going to get all these guys. And I did the same thing as you. I joined a couple of groups and started doing posts. And I sort of thought, oh, I'm putting, I'm doing the content and I'm putting it on. I could be the thing. And then I would use my branding skills, etc. But I just went for it and I never had a concrete direction but the social media element and the podcast bit although one was a vehicle to get people to the other I, I never successfully tied the link because what i found and correct me if you if, if if i'm wrong is that people are very very loyal to these facebook groups and they'll recognize other things are happening but they don't necessarily want to move away from that hot space that they're in that community they've built, probably those friends they've made. And although you could provide better content, a lot of the work you're trying to do is just to get in front of their eyeballs. And that is, in a nutshell, is so different than just providing the content. Definitely. I mean, it's like, uh, I'm just going to start with what you said last and then I'll go back to some of the earlier stuff. But in terms of the Facebook groups, it's like I have the Instagram where where that's like kind of my space. I don't have a Facebook group because like I don't want to mess with like the good group that's already there. Like yeah. for me, like so in some ways, it's like what I try to do is just basically become like a, a valuable member to the group in a way, whether it's like being engaged, asking questions 
only sharing relevant videos and trying not to like feel like you're like spamming everyone. I had this idea of like this just being on Instagram, but in terms of it, like having a direction, it's like quite the opposite because a couple things. One, there's probably been five posts in my life that I've written that haven't been the morning of that they're posted. Like, and I say that because if there's any advice like I could give, I would end every post with a question. Like the intent of that, that I'm still learning today is you want to just create a space where like your audience feels like they're being heard. And sometimes you have to like kind of prompt them to like share, just give them a prompt for them to feel like they're being heard to share these stories. But um, I think of any good community that's like, you know, whether it's these Facebook groups that we do and all these different pages, everything we're trying to do is like, at least for me, the focus may seem like it's on the superstar DJs and the topics, but the actual focus is on the followers of the page, using these questions to hear their response, form relationships with them and learn what they're most interested about. And so, for example, it's like, I just went to Manchester for this huge tune showcase. And where is the content in that? It's like the gig was amazing. Mick Park, like crushed it, Quiver crushed it. But the magic of the trip was like the relationships you make on the dance floor with the people who are so passionate about it. So I think in terms of like social media communities and stuff and and why why it's always difficult is you're always trying to like create a, a place where your audience feels like they can, this is their place where they can like contribute and things like that. And that's definitely not easy to like establish that as we both probably like experienced, but that's just always what I'm aiming for. I'm not sure if that's what like aimed your question, like answered your question or not. No, no, it do, it does. I mean, yeah, a couple of points there to, to to unpack is, you know, the irony of what you said is 101 in marketing, you know, at the end of content, you do a call to action, right? Your call to action is to tell people to do something so that they don't just read it and then that's it. Your call to action was obviously asking a question. What you've created a hybrid of really is using your journalistic skills to be able to formulate your ideas quick, I guess, journalists work on deadlines right so you're, yeah, more, yeah, yeah. you're more genuine and authentic if you furious, do it furious typing yeah, like it's not as contrived i guess if you're doing it more more genuinely and it's like sitting here for four hours staring at the screen and then finally just being like duh and then it's done in 10 minutes but it just yeah. like sometimes takes sitting at the screen for three hours to just like so feel you're right. find out yeah, what's you're... right some of the comparisons between what you've discussed and and what I feel like I should have known, I didn't adopt. And I, and I think this was part of the problem was ultimately when you have a passion about something and you write passionately about it, you want to find people with similar passions um, for sure. And the online community by very definition and very nature means that people are behind computer screens, can't quite see them. You've got to try and work them out. Um, if you're getting them to a group, it's not necessarily peer to peer. So you're not making friends in the classic sense. But certainly everything that happened around um, lockdown, which which is well documented, just created and thrusted forward this change in the online behavior. And what ultimately has come out the other side for us is is almost exactly what you said, is that most of the people that I connected with the most over that period online has now materialized into real friendships in real life. And that is not something I thought would happen. 
it, the community wanted to meet, wanted to be back on the dance floor. And when a portion of us meet, there's just this unsaid sort of happiness because we connect <laughs> through music online without even meeting each other because we were searching for something. And then when we did find each other and we go, guess what? The music is, is what brings us together. And I, I, I echo what you said in your post. I think it was today that the very essence of clubbing, more so clubbing than anything I'd done, was that these random groups of people would, would get together in a club, open their minds to what they might hear, and make friends with somebody at arm's length that they'd never met before, that a tune would come on, you'd look at them, you'd know exactly what they felt and how they were feeling. And you shared this experience in this beautiful, like, never-ending moment. And you could, and the stories that you came out with at the club, yeah, there was like, did you hear that tune and did you hear this? Especially if you were a tune spot like me. But it was always, did you see that guy? Did you meet that per Did you see the really cool couple? The guy that kept buying you drinks? The guy that kept offering his water? And that, that's the gold. Yeah, yeah. This pumps and the paps without any words. You just, you, you feel safe. You feel at home. And that is, a, that is a wonderful thing that all of the content and all of the things is the hardest thing to capture in, in, that, in that little clubbing Super Bowl. And I'm glad you found that because... You said at the beginning, you know, you feel like you weren't there at the beginning, but that's what it was at the beginning. It's all it was. So good for you. Good for you. Oh, bro. I'm just like, honestly, so stoked. Like literally, like, I just feel so lucky to have been like accepted. Basically it's changed my life entirely. Like this for better or worse, like this is how I see the world now. Like this is my perspective what traveling is to me now is like dude meeting super progressive followers just because they're so awesome and it's like oh my god I feel like I'm about to go meet my like one of my future best friends and dude we all know this it's like I'm like 28 so it's starting to get the time where you like it's tough to go out and make friends bro this is like opened my world it's like a freaking I don't know. I'm just so grateful that there's this community out there that like, uh, there's like, in, I don't know. There's just like friends everywhere now. Everyone I met who loves this music, like legitimate friendships, whether it's in different countries, like whether it's over in New York, it's like, no, this is like legitimate. It's so cool. I think, I think that's the very spirit of it. You know, we, we've, we've got lost in the world we're in with, you know, cynicism, um, the way people feel about Western civilization, world leaders. There's a lot of serious, heavy shit that, that gets shared very quickly on social media. The world's made, been made smaller by this ability to, to, to share what's happening on one side of the planet and the other. The very sort of early movement, the counterculture movement in the music is probably one of the core reasons why this style of music has has endured for so long because okay there is an element and it's and it's worth mentioning there is an element where there's drugs involved there's just as many drugs involved in in other 
scenarios you don't have to go very far for people to chuck pints down the neck with bags of coke to get themselves so they can drink more pints of coke yeah, yeah. and it used to be frowned upon that clubbing was this whole sort of drug taking culture and that's why people liked it because they're all off the heads do you know what there's some truth in that but the reality is whether it's football whether it's music escapism is what most common people want from the end of the working week or the normality of their lives but the open-mindedness that you often experience in in what i would call sort of proper clubbing culture and we're not talking about the the ten thousands and the you know the stadium for, we're talking about clubs clubs that have had promoters put on djs and music to collect a group of people together open-minded that just for a few hours want to escape a lot of this hardcore stuff and you fa- you found it like i said it's just it's endured for so many years you, you write about y- your age you know the the thing i guess we'll come on to it later that i'm trying to resurrect is that people are quite willing to go to a concert they'll spend so much money on a concert and they'll go and they'll queue up and they'll spend the fortune on tickets and staying over and overpriced drinks and they'll go and they'll put themselves through it but they would discount clubbing because they think it's something they should have done when they were younger or it's finished now. And yeah. I don't get that. I don't get it. Well, you guys are pretty lucky over in the UK because I went to a pl- I go to a place like Joshua Brooks in Manchester, bro. And like, I'm like, I'll go clubbing here till I'm freaking 50. This is awesome. Like <laughs> small, intimate venue. Like, dude, like there was such an awesome mixture. It's a tiny club. Awesome mixture of like experienced clubbers and your local every night clubbers young kids and i was like dude this is it this is what people say when like small clubs matter this is what they mean at least for me i those are few and far between in a lot of parts of the states i'd say but like when when it makes sense and you feel it you're like dude i i could do this forever like this is awesome um, i think it's good i think also what you're what yeah. you're probably experiencing a little bit is is underground like you know this is a good topic because um, commercialism um, happens in everything. As soon as something becomes popular, can be marketed, can be made money from commercialism, wump, and it comes. Except for countries that don't really have that kind of forefront of their mind, we must sell things, we must make money out of people. And I think if it wasn't for smaller promoters, if it wasn't for smaller clubs, if it wasn't for people you know putting the hand in the pocket and paying for these djs or or trying and putting things on then the underground would really disappear and it's alive and well it's not as buoyant as it once was you know particularly the draw of the underground i guess for a lot of people was <laughs> many things were bordering on legal but pockets of places like manchester many other cities they are trying to keep this sort of little scene alive where young and old can get together they don't have to really worry too much about what's going on around them. You know, best dressed person in town trying to like just get into the door. They're not dressed right. None of that. Just that, all of that's rubbish. Wear what you want. Come. You're going to be listening to music. That's what you're going to be doing. And you're going to meet like-minded people. Um, yeah, I but mean, yeah. but bro, like this Joshua Brooks thing blew my mind. And like, I I'm not even like a big drinker and I just noticed like a pint there is four pounds and I'm like dude I just went to Yoto at Brooklyn Steel Yoto's the man this isn't on him this is on Brooklyn Steel 
It's like $21 for a drink. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Like even that is just like, uh, I don't know, just good on, good on Joshua Brooks to do that and just like make it, make it a realistic night out for just like, you know, people yeah. that love the music. It's sick. Going back to your point about escapism, I've been relishing in these opportunities to bring my dad like to these events and stuff like this. I love he, he gets, <laughs> he'll get, he got mad at me. Cause I said, I brought him to Manchester where like technically he brought me to Manchester, but he brought <laughs> me, he brought me to Manchester, but with the mission of like, you know, I, I was covering this event. It was a big deal for me for super progressive to go and like really experience this stuff. But what happened was um, I'm not gonna like, if you guys saw the video, it's like the, you guys are so awesome. Like people, couple guys, I had the opening set, like uh, this guy, Steve drove like four hours away. Uh, Eric and Wim flew in from Belgium just to like support. And I'm like, so grateful. But what was really awesome about that was my dad just got to experience how awesome the community is. Like the community at its best. Like these guys were so nice, so much closer to my dad's age than my age. My dad was just like, I was not, He's like, I didn't know what to expect. And I probably wasn't expecting meeting some of like the nicest people I've met, you know, really ever. But it just goes to show that like, and I, I always say this, but like when you love this music, you, the kind of the values of that scene become your values in some way. And especially as you mature and get to maybe be out of the crossfire a little bit of like the hedonism of it. And you really see what's like, what was important for you about it all these years later that's even magnified more. And then, and then you get someone like my dad who loves music, but this isn't his scene, but he's curious about it. Cause I'm so passionate about it. Meeting, you know, long, like the people that make up this scene and just saying they're like amazingly nice people. So that was really nice. I'm so pleased. I mean, you know, that year back when we talked about my story, you know, obviously my formative clubbing years were in Manchester. And I'm, I'm so glad that you almost went there i know how excited you were about finding out about the hacienda and, you, and your passion for learning about it and i'm really glad that you went to manchester and had a night like that because it for me was the birthplace of my joy the before that period like we said on the interview i had with you it was listening to tapes from miles away from raves and stuff but my clubbing experience started in manchester and you know the, the kind of northern sound if you like or or the northern roots in music in England is pretty important, especially for Northerners. And yeah, I'm just really pleased that you got to have a decent sort of grassroots night. Well, like how nice is this? Like um, there's this, this guy, Adam, who follows the page. And so I post that I'm going to Manchester. He like reached out to me to, uh, he reached out to me to take me on a walking tour and give me like the local, you know, like the local tour of like the stuff that matters that he knew that I would find so interesting. And I want to talk to you about this because we were talking about the Hacienda and I had this like really big uh, kind of moment in Manchester. And it actually happened after I got back when I could process everything and I was writing my recap video and everything. But so 24 hour party people starts after the Tony Wilson, like paragliding scene. It starts with the gig that changed the world, right? Sex Pistols at Lesser Free Trade Hall. And why is that the gig that changed the world? It like had the guys, who was it? Howard DeVoto and I, uh, I forget the other guy from the Buzzcocks had Peter Hook and Bernard Sumner from 
New Order, Joy Division, obviously, first, then New Order. Morrissey was there writing a review of the event for NME. And, you know, there's only 40 people there, but those people went to go on to shape the future. Marquis Smith of the Fall was there, go on and shape the future of British rock. But I'm like, holy shit. There's this passage in Dom Phillips' book, Superstar DJs, Here We Go, where he's explaining if at the early days of the Hacienda, if you had a bird's eye view on it, in one corner, you'd see Sasha and Sparrow. In another corner, you'd see Dave Beer. Another corner, you'd see Jeff Oaks. And I'm just like, dude, the Hacienda is what lesser free trade hall was to like post-punk. Like it's literally comes down to someone creating a space. And Tony Wilson, like, this is what, like he's on Dom Phillips level for me. So that like seeing, you know, having his presence felt in the city, like through whether it's like factory international that they're building or just like the yellow and black painting everywhere. Like his presence is so alive there, but he always said like a city needs a place for like things to happen in, for the arts to come together and people come together in. And then you look back at the Hacienda and you're like, those nights on that dance floor, it goes more than people just saying, this was the best night of my life. It's like, no, it's like you have individuals who like decided to make a contribution because of those nights on those dance floors. And it shapes the next 20 years of underground electronic music. Like, like, come on, like, does it get more next? Like that what was coming next than like Sasha, Jeff Oaks and Dave Beer, like Renaissance back to basics. Like that's like what it's all about. Like that was what's was coming next. And it was so cool to have that realization of like, no, this is really just like about great music moments in time and places where they happen. And Manchester like promotes that as a city. So it's just sick. It's awesome. It's got such a rich culture away from the obvious sort of football culture, you know, two big giants in English football, you know, one more, one more recently in terms of city's wealth, but you know, the United thing. And, and, you know, for me, the draw to go to Manchester was the music from, from the off, you know, going, going, um, moving away from Manchester when I was a kid and then wanting to move straight back there when to be a student, to go out and be involved in the scene. You know, it was it was so important for me. I just, like I said to you, I was extremely grateful and fortunate to have got into the Hacienda at a time when it moved past its it, that sort of golden era, but the, the the roots were still there. You know, going and dancing to Graham Park and the next part of the story. I was I was lucky enough to be there, and so it'll always have uh, fond fond memories for me. You know, I, I went back a few years ago. We went to a, a, a Nick Warren gig. It was at one of the unis, um, and I've been back there periodically to go to go clubbing. The next sort of northwest giant for me was was obviously Cream. Um, I, I was again fortunate that around the age you kind of said there, sort of six, 16, 17, sort of at school, I had older mates that could drive, and you know, Manchester was forty five minutes that way, and Liverpool was about an hour that way, and there was nothing to do in our hometown, so we had to get out of there, and we just went, shall we go? And you chuck in a few quid, you'd be traveling an hour, but you were transporting yourself to a whole, oh yeah, whole new world. And I don't, if I'm really honest, I don't think I've ever, ever lost deep inside me that, that knowledge and feeling of being on a dance floor when a drum beat builds 
into a break. Yeah, it's just, it's probably like when people first hear an electric guitar and go, I've got to play the electric guitar. For me, that's not what it was. It was, it was, it was beats. I want to move you on a little bit here. So one of the amazing things that you've achieved over the space of time that you've been doing this, which isn't that long in the grand scheme of things, is you've built up this black cat of amazing interviews with artists that literally were on the front covers of Global Underground. Talk me through kind of how that how that evolved from first starting with Paul into what was later on Tanaglia and Hanan and all of all the giants. Yeah, I mean, it was really just like the uh, idea that take this Paul interview that was like a gift and like bring it and try and secure our next interview. And we started just so luckily Paul is so like respected and everyone, I don't know, everyone takes Paul very seriously. So we went to Anthony Papa, who's literally the nicest guy. It's like, okay, who's the nicest guy that we could possibly go to that would probably say yes to us. Anthony Papa, like that guy is, he's the man. He hooked us up with a remote interview and then like another big break, which I've like literally changed my life. Um, the next one was Danny, Danny Tanaglia. And he was playing Reform Festival in LA. And basically like the reason why I've been able to go from interview to interview with these people that have made such great contributions, it only happens literally nothing to do with me. It's because these guys are so passionate about the music that if you like, if you do your work as a journalist and a producer to give them like a platform that they have comfortable to speak on, at least like, you know, a lot of the guys that I've had the opportunity to speak to will take the opportunity to speak at length and very passionate about this music. Like, you know, for a lot of them, it's their life. So I think what worked early on was one uh, just like Paul to Anthony getting Danny was just a huge break. And one thing we did with Danny was let it go for two hours. And I think we edited either down to an hour and a half or an hour, but it was like long. And, you know, everything, everyone tells you today that nobody has like an attention span anymore. No one like wants long form content. I just felt like no one had put a microphone in front of Danny for an hour yet, or else you would have had like, like nothing stopping him from talking for like five <laughs> hours about this. So it was just like, and then literally in real time over the course of these interviews, you're, I'm learning a lot, but I'm also just like, it's one of those situations where it's the more, you know, the more you don't know. And like, you know, hearing Danny just like talk about this stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, this thing that seems small. And I was at one point wondering like, well, I have to expand out of this, like, you know, progressive house. I didn't know how you just realize how deep it goes. And then it becomes like, a, you get it, it's its own universe. And then of course, with the endorsement of Danny, like really it just all kind of fell into place. Like Sander Kleinenberg was next. He, he gave us an awesome interview. He was a super cool guy. I don't know. I just think he's mad cool, like literally cool. So <laughs> um, that that was great. And then it was it was really easy to go to DJs and be like, hey, I have these specific questions about I cover global underground releases that you did a global underground. I'd love you to ask about it. And they all were just nice enough to say, yeah, like, let's reflect on it. And if you notice, like some of those interviews are very specific. Other ones are more career kind of as you go on later, they kind of just become like the coverage of their whole career. 
Um, so basically, we were kind of just taking interview to interview, getting our next one by utilizing the endorsement from our last one. And, and then we went down to Miami Music Week, um, got to interview Hernan on the boat at Miami Music Week, yeah, which, wow. which like, again, he really didn't have to do, but he's just one of like the nicest, nicest guys ever. That is what they call in journalism, a scoop. Basically my hack, my like in, you know, I didn't really have connections. So I offered to cover these events for free with my podcasting equipment. Like I was like, don't worry about photo or video to the organizer of that event. Like um, if you can let me on the boat, basically, I will cover this event for you. He's like, yeah. And then like, as the date comes up, you you just kind of like, would it be cool if like we filmed a quick interview with Hernan on the on the bow of the boat just before he goes on? You know, we'll give you all the content and you can do what you want with it with your channels. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then we go ask Hernan. It's like, hey, if we can we uh, go and do a quick interview with you on the bow of the boat? And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like literally the nicest guy. So, I mean, once everyone's there, you're like good to go. So five minutes turns into like Hernan got there early. There was plenty of time, never cut into a set or anything. So it's just like that quick five minute interview turns into like a 35 minute interview because everyone's having fun. And, and that's just kind of like how it, how it went down. But all I have to say about the Hernan interview was this was he's just like, so aware and clear as a DJ, but also as a person. Cause like we interview him at like 2 PM, he goes on at 3 PM plays until eight boats docked at 9 PM. After he comes up to us and he's he's like, hey, how was the party? Like, like, how'd the interview go? And I'm like, dude, you even remember this? Like, let alone recognize me again. And it was just so cool of him to like come up and, and do that. And that obviously inspires me then to go and do the best job on the content as possible. I was obviously like super proud of how that interview came out. And yeah. And then since then, it's like, I mean, really all I do is <laughs> send out um you know, Steve Lawler did another interview with us. And I just like send a list of all, all of those interviews, especially like I'm very uh, grateful for the roster of interviews we got because the names are, I'm just super proud of the names and I'm proud to just say, this is who we've interviewed. And those guys carry us to get the interviews we get today. I tell you, honestly, I remember sending you a message um, during that time saying like i i am literally living vicariously on each of these interviews you know i i i just what this is evidence of for me is somebody that not only it's it's not just about right place at the right time you're using all of your skills now and also you know, making the effort to be in the right place at the right time. That's how good stuff happens. Maybe the universe works with you, but you have to show it willing, right? It's not just a case of going, oh yeah, well, this will just fall in our lap. And like you said, the, the content's first in front of your mind. You know, making that kind of content speaks for itself when you show it to somebody else and say, look, I'd like to do something with you, here's this. You know, and I, and I spotted what you could do very early on because passion drives you to do that you can't do it with no passion i think everybody on i guess i i guess i sort of call this an underground scene has passion 
but there's moments at which the passion is not enough, your day job takes over or your family commitments or your mental health, you know, there's, there's certain things will stop the passion bubbling into what could be something massive and you kind of rein yourself back in, you know, certainly for um, amateur underground DJs, mental health, the amount you think about music, it's, 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 it's to be controlled. It can, it can get a lot particularly online so you know the effort you put in particularly I think when I met you and you were in LA and you said you you know you were working and you were fitting it in and you know that whole genesis of stuff that you created has put you in in good stead it is really good content and it's also ironic that this is maybe the first time that people have actually shone the spotlight in a different way on them um because albums leave notes, the odd like old school journalist interview in a magazine like Mix Mag in the UK or Dance Music Magazine as it was years ago, that was like all you could get. And if you remember when you interviewed Dave Seaman, who of course was editor and almost did what you did back in the day, you know, these snippets of information that he would, what we would read that he'd written were all you could get. You, you, you read things cover to cover. There wasn't any more information. So it's ironic that people can listen to Hanan whenever, you know, download his podcast, watch him and Nick Warren in crystal clear vision on YouTube, but never heard him speak in English for an amount of time. Yeah, no, it's wild. <laughs> and I think like, I don't know. I, I also think it's like a little, uh, these guys, you know, artists are always evolving and like, um, these guys continue to do so much. And I think, uh, you know, as just like anybody matures and gets older, it becomes maybe nicer to look back where, because like realistically, if we're dealing with progressive DJs, and this is why I believe some interviews will never happen because some of these guys are just progressive to their core where like, you know, a lot of, there's like a good amount of DJs that you go and ask for an interview and they're like, I'm not really comfortable talking about myself or just like talking about the past. And it's the same way with why some DJs won't ever, you know, Nick Warren said playing classics, a lot of classics out of set is a one way street. Like these guys are progressive thinking people, artists before just being a progressive house DJ, like they're progressive artists and they're always looking, looking forward. But I think as these guys just really like accomplish so much to have an opportunity to look back is more appealing and more appealing, I guess, as they kind of go deeper and deeper into their career. Yeah, what the people that you've sat with or discussed here today, interviewed, got in touch with, have all kind of got in common is that they haven't ever really lost that sense of underground spirit. They've become very successful at what they do can command high fees for their sets but you're right i think they're kind of musicians in that way um they're not really ultimately comfortable with being a front man but they are and i think that some djs modern day djs you know we won't name names but the kind of bigger edm scene was about somebody's face and name on a flyer more so than actually the content or the quality of the music they were going to play yeah. and that's not what this is about and i think it's why so many people 
you know, enjoy the music, but I've stuck with them. Like I had my very first Hanan Catania CD and was like, who the hell is this guy? I'm in, you know, and I've got every single one. I listen to his podcast every single week and never does he do something and I go, oh, a bit bored of that. You, you know, it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't happen. It just it doesn't happen. And that is kind of like the magic from a DJ's point of view. That's the magic. You're listening to somebody who's constantly evolving, has his own sound, but has never sold out. And if they do play something, you, you, your brain is configuring, Is I'm here in the future. What is this? And off, off, you're, off you go trying to find out the chat list. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, Nick Warren in particular, his, his music roots. Um, you know, I, I um, for a time, was, was DJing in Cheltenham. Nick was from Bristol. When I saw Nick at a gig and warmed up before him, we chatted in the field and I said, oh, look, you know, I used to go over to Bristol and blah, blah, blah. And I played with Jody Wistonoff and he's like, oh, Jody. And we were talking and it, it was just like, he was just a normal bloke. I, I had all, I was like, oh, you know, got him to sign a couple of things. But once we got talking, he was very on the money with what was important to him, where the scene's going, explaining that, that things had changed, but the music was still the most important thing to him. Um, and I think that comes across. So you were in Los Angeles, right? And has this stuff with DT made you move to New York? Yeah, well, um... First plane. Bang. I'm from from the Jersey Shore, so this was like a uh, this was like a no brainer. Basically, I was working. I still work this job, but I was really working like a uh, marketing job with an investment firm. And when I met DT, I was like, "Wow, I'm just envisioning DT's freaking record collection and archive," and I'm like, "That's the history of the music right there." So I write to him. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm super like we just had an awesome interview and 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 I'm happy that he had a really good time with it. And so I was like, hey, if there's ever any opportunity for me to help you with some social media projects, let me know. Here's 18 things that I'm thinking we can do. <laughs> uh, like, here's a whole list of things that I think we could do. And that just turned into like, um kind of a conversation where he had just moved back out to, he had moved out from his place in uh, New York to North New Jersey. I was from New Jersey. I wanted to work a job in the scene and take, you know, push back on my freelance hours. It wouldn't have worked if it wasn't like, you know, this perfect alignment of like location and stuff. But basically what I did was, you know, June, it's like uh, eight months ago, moved from LA back to New Jersey to start working for Danny and obviously continue super progressive at, uh, efforts. And that's kind of where you saw this little shift into like, um, I don't know. I like, I was, you know, out in LA, it's like one, I'm on the opposite coast of everything. I'm not like necessarily at my home base. I'm working this job a lot of the time. So I didn't really have, I wasn't like being as experimental as I could be. But when I got back home, bro, I just went crazy. Like I was doing live streams, freaking video game streams with like uh, the sets going on, 
live interviews, which were some of the most fun things ever. And also doing, starting doing the reaction videos. And, and I was just like, uh, I feel like my passion is like only getting so far across in these captions. Like I need to like step this up. And this is where it's kind of like just going back to like being a kid that's freaking on Instagram and YouTube all the time. Like they do reaction videos for everything these days. Rap video. Like I, I watch like so many reaction videos. Some of my favorite YouTube content creators are just like reacting to like new rap music or like whatever. But I'm like, well, no one's doing this at all for progressive house classic tracks. So it's just something for me to like, look at my favorite YouTube creators and be like, okay, a lot of that's what this is. It's looking at my favorite creators, whether it's the skateboard podcast or these reaction videos and just being like, how can I take this format of content and apply it in a way that won't make everyone unfollow me and make it like a progressive <laughs> house content. Cause I know this stuff's ridiculous. Like I know the reaction videos are ridiculous, but I don't know. I mean, I'm like, this is what I do. Like, I like getting stoked on this music. I like love making content and I never feel like I'm like doing i I'm always trying to put like the importance of the music first. And as long as I feel like I'm doing that, like I am fine looking like a fool, bro. <laughs> maybe because of my background in marketing and looking at different types of content and realizing how different um platforms change and what they want and and what they need you know there, there was a time in marketing when i kind of did everything could do everything and then when digital marketing kind of ads and um facebook marketing really came in into the sort of mainstream um for all industries i was kind of away happy doing that working it out and then really the shift from your basic carousel images and a bit of video content when these changes have happened with reels and things like that it's kind of where i've bowed out i think i've come to a point where um i'm, I'm still passionate about what i do um you know we you you and i are quite an age difference and i'm i'm young at heart for sure um but finding the energy to create things and also understand the technology is is where I'm running at, running out of headspace. It's probably the description headspace. We discussed at work that the job I do now I work for an entertainment industry. You know, one of the things that that was exciting about working for an entertainment industry as opposed to the automotive industry was that there was more sort of freedom to explore different content if you wanted to make it the difference of course is when you're my age and you've sort of got a serious job and you're doing the sales and marketing you can't run around with a camera capturing content and people doing behind the scenes stuff but i do have an understanding of what's needed in the modern age to engage people you know very much what's what's a shame i think sometimes for social media is that things are invented to become trends to make money. And that is difficult for me because marketing, you're sort of cynical, you know that somebody's done something for an end goal. And that person hasn't positioned the camera there. They haven't learned this dance spur of the moment and the dog didn't run in and grab the drink sliding through their legs at that moment, all by chance. And that for me just switches me off. Yeah. but. And this is the but, if you find something you're into and somebody's producing content in that way for what you're into, 
that can open up the doorway. And I think you're probably doing that. I mean, my, my question to you would be, based on a previous conversation, do you think you've opened up this world to younger people? Do you think part of what you've achieved is showing younger people this music and saying, here it is, there's the past and there's all this future to go at? Do you, what age demographic do you think you're connecting best with? So I think age demographic I'm connecting best with is definitely like that 45 to 55. You're right. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, um, you know, that's obviously like the dominant demographic. But I'll say all what I'm trying to do is like, um, I say I'm trying to open, you know, open this uh, kind of world of music, of music history up to like kids my age. But what I really mean by that is like, because you'll like get a headache trying to figure out how to do that through search and like through hashtags and all that shit. Like you'll drive yourself insane. So like the two things I'm trying to always do are one, make content. Cause I got like a crew of 20 friends that are like, they're not like a lot of them are my best friends, but some aren't, they're just interested in music. And I'm always just trying to make it fun and funny for them. Like, even if it, even if like hordes of younger kids aren't coming in, if this is content, like my friends are epic. They're very proud. I feel like they're proud to show their friends if they if they're going to a rave, like, yo, check out my friend. He does this. It it belongs in 2023, like the, the, the way the content looks. But what I'm really trying to do is see how basically uncomfortable without following and with still receiving engagement, I can make people from your demographic. Like the fact, dude. I started doing these reaction videos and was getting unfollowers like like in the 20s every day. But I'm just like, that's okay because well, it was just a warning sign a little bit to like, okay, you're you're pushing your boundary a little bit. But it's also just like the people that stayed with through through that like really uh, I don't know through the really kind of younger f- formats of content that I do. I just think it's awesome that they're opening they're being open to like new forms of content because i think on the surface it looks crazy but once you get into it you can just have fun with it like you can it doesn't you know what i mean it doesn't have to bother you if it's about your favorite thing like you can even if you say that one was stupid you can still like i hope it's still fun for you to watch and be almost like why am i watching this why the hell is this kid making this like but but i actually somewhat enjoyed that You know what I mean? <laughs> it was it was something I was going to discuss with you because, like you say, on the face of it, you're doing something quite unserious, whereas you started quite serious. Now, I know you in a different way than perhaps quite a lot of people do who just follow you, so who just see you as super progressive. You know, yeah. I know you as Will, and <laughs> these other people that are meeting you at gigs and knowing you as Will. When you're in the same sort of sphere, if you like, of of work in you know take away the music bit and you and you actually look at what's going on with the content there is obviously always a need to push things there is always a need to like you said push boundaries sometimes the best marketing is just to be marmite you know if 50 percent of people love you and 50 percent of people hate you that's a huge demographic you you'd take yeah. it keep all the ones that like you and i think this is one of the difficulties in starting online communities how do you you know, do you create something and let them come to you? Arguably, yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. Do you embrace the technology and what it's starting to offer? 
and understand what's coming next on those platforms because naturally people who are looking for new things will be switched on like that or do you just go the whole journey and accept that people come and go and what you really want to do is is keep all the good ones and I, and I think that's where you know signaling to different groups is not right thinking that you should have 10,000 followers is more important than having a thousand that actually engage with you and these are the things that when you take away all the metrics and you take away all the layers something and this is probably next part of the conversation something drives you to go i need to put something on today or i want to put something on today rather than feeling like a slave to it and Again, I, I look at my shortcomings with what I've tried to do. I'm very honest with myself about the mistakes that I've made in not having a very clear direction sometimes in what I'm trying to do. I think several things happened to me in what I've been doing that disheartened me. Um, there's two sides to what I do, sim maybe similar to what you do in terms of, you know, you do your stuff with Danny and then you do your stuff, is that there was kind of always this, Progressive House UK online and then there was the podcast and because I'm only one person I'm trying to do millions of things and balance a day job and work for Toyota and try and be the best I can for them and be the best in their network and all these sort of like ambitions I had is that part of it was doing a podcast and part of it was running an, an online social media sort of group and, and I, I couldn't join the two but they both needed my attention in different ways and when things got really like started to really take off is when all of the podcasts started to weed through and then we got caught by spotify it just went absolutely mental and when i mean mental i mean forget soundcloud forget mix cloud forget putting your mix on and telling a few friends here's my link look go and like listen to it when Spotify got hold of us, we were getting 20,000 downloads a month. And the, and the resident team were like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is just, this is, this is crazy. There's people all around the world listening to us. This is what's happening. But what was difficult is you, you're trying to motivate a team of residents and you're trying to do an online community and you try, and my brain's trying to learn more about Transistor and how does this going to work? And if I pay for the next subscription level, what could that do? And then, you know, right tonight I'm going to phone my mate and I'm going to talk about transistor for two or three hours. And at the same time, I, I, I need to go in and do a mix because I'm put, and I think you've stuck at one thing. You've stuck at making like content for what you want to make content for. And I think that passion, if, if that continues has kept you out of doing what I've done, which is going lots of different directions. You, you can't know everything, can you? You can't be <laughs> yeah. and you can't put all your thoughts into the technology side of it and ignore the people, the yeah. content side of it and ignore why you're making the content. It's, it's tough. And I don't know if it's the same in America. Maybe it is. We're, we're very similar countries in terms of what we consume, but over here, mental health and how to deal with your mental health. It's, it's a big topic, right? And I'll come home full day at work. I've been listening to a podcast on the way to work, listen to a podcast on the way home from work. My mind's full of stuff. I'm doing stuff at work. And then I come home and I eat my tea and then I sit down and I go, right, who was I engaging with? What what DJs are next on my roster? What and 
just came a point where I was like, oh, crikey. So what do you what do you do to actually unwind? What, yeah. what do you do? So play Rocket League with my friends, play video games. <laughs> and literally like uh, the, the amazing thing about, about uh, and then I have like things I do within work too that I'll get to in a sec, but to unwind. Um, it's cool because like in my studio, there's the screen for, uh, there's the screen for super progressive content work, podcast work, screen right here, video game screen. So I'm always just like in and out of, uh, I'm always like, you know, doing a sprint of work, trying to get something done. But when my friends like hop online for a sec, I'm just, it's right here. And, and I get to take, you know, a nice 20 minute break with them, but I like to play video games. Definitely like to exercise. Definitely like to cook food. I don't know. Down the line, I'll really hone in what this is. But there's like a uh, progressive lifestyle, like a super progressive lifestyle that like I believe in that like, I don't know. I just feel like I can work on this stuff my best and go out and enjoy the music best when I'm eating healthy, when I'm exercising, when I'm just feeling good. Sometimes I like to go to shows, but really I just love those nights where I get to sit at my computer play video games and without the threat of deadline think about what I want to do next like for content that I actually want to do and this this is like kind of goes into the like how is this sustainable of like I mean dude what I do I would not consider hard work whatsoever in the grand scheme of things like it's like not hard work and it's it's really nice and lucky to be able to do it what I what makes this sustainable for me is if you remember, like the original content on the page was like history, like hardcore history. Picture of the album cover, album notes, long caption. I kind of selfishly started inserting myself into the content because one, I always wanted to feel like I was connecting with my audience that was seeing this because for me it's basically like this giant trade it's like if you can make if you can like put yourself through making content which is sometimes like the last thing i feel like doing but you know that it results in an opportunity to create a genuine connection with someone who likes this music whether it's new or someone who's been following you for a long time it just makes it so much more worth it and then i was like this is what i want out of the scene i want to make connections with people, whether they were a DJ, a producer, or just a clubber who loves the music. I want to be able to make connections because that's what makes me really happy. Right. Um, so I started putting myself in the content more. And like, now you look at this super progressive page, I'm sure some people think it's like either egotistical or whatever, but my face is all over that grid because I just, it's made for everyone else, but what I want to take out of it is the opportunity to make genuine connections with other people who care about this music. Because realistically, like, that's how, I don't know, that's how I'm going to not like progress in this scene professionally, but get to be able to do what I love to do. For example, I got to DJ the opening set for freaking Quiver and Tilt upstairs at, at the bar, right? I know no one is more unqualified than me <laughs> to do that. Like, dude, I'm talking to you. You made me a six hour mix for the thing. Like, 
like I mixed in college, but like, especially after talking to these DJs and talking, like, I know I'm on the bottom of the mixing totem pole, but I just enjoy the fact that I can express my passion for this music in one way. And there's these little experiences along the way that I get to experience that changed my life. Like going and meeting everyone in the club at Manchester after being invited to come because the DJs like enjoyed the interview or getting to, you know, listen to records with George in Greece because he follows the page and I was traveling over there. And all of a sudden I got the super intimate look at what life in Greece was like while listening to records with this guy or DJing an opening set for something like technically I'm totally unqualified to do, but I'm going to take the opportunity to express my passion. It's not like I'm going to go out and try and become like a superstar DJ or anything, but it's just like, I get stoked on those opportunities to express my passion for this. That's why that's the only way to keep it sustainable for me. Cause like it would end really fast if people weren't as passionate as they are and would stop commenting. It would probably end in a week. I mean, listen, like I'll tell you if, if, if nobody else would like, they're the just rewards for your effort. Nobody from Oakenfold to Naglia that you now know quite well, can't see that the effort you put in is good. I think what you bring to it is good humor. You bring, um, honesty and your fun. They're pretty good ingredients as far as I'm concerned. Somebody that writes good contacts, somebody that's fun to be with, somebody that's quite like humble. And yeah, you know, you're navigating something that a lot of people just can't fathom and haven't got time to. So, you know, I I thank you for your service to the music that I love. And <laughs> thank you, bro. I thank you too. If we were going to wrap up, I guess I'm in the same position as you, right? If I if I just stop doing what I'm doing, the chances are conversations will dry up, relationships will fizzle out. You know, there's an element of what keeps me doing this. For example, this podcast, I used to do what you sort of did originally. I'd write the transcript, I'd work it all out, I'd produce the whole of my own show, I'd underlayer tracks, I'd introduce things. I did all this stuff on the first incarnation of the podcast. I worked really hard when podcasts were new and I was just knackered from it. I was just like, people don't understand the effort I'm going to. And, <laughs> and I was doing it and then come out the other side of the pandemic challenges with losing followers like Spotify overnight, 20,000 listeners gone, Spotify no longer wanted to play on licensed music. You couldn't Facebook live stream. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. These big sort of blows also sort of rocked how I felt about things. And where I'm at today is I kind of realized during this period where we were all online is that this was great, but I now spend Tuesday night thinking about finding tunes, like that's a massive part of DJing, finding the music. I'd spend Wednesday night putting it all together, programming it all, and then I'd go and do a three, four hour live stream live on the Thursday night. Three nights of my life, I'd do that. Then I realized that wasn't having connections like this. And I know all these people, and all I really need to do is shoot you a message. Say, do you want to come over or do you want to hook up? let's have a conversation yeah because the passion these conversations i love i love talking about it i could talk about it forever 
But <laughs> try and write as many words as me and you have said in an hour and 25 minutes, and we'd be writing a book this thick. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. It'd be like, a, it'd be like Lord of the Prog Rings. <laughs> <laughs> it would be crazy. So where, just very quickly before we wrap up, where do, where do you, are you just happy to grab the reins and see where it takes you? I mean, I got to figure something out because I... <laughs> I don't make right now, like uh, the work with Danny is supporting me. And as if I want to take this to the next step, I'm going to have can definitely have to figure some things out or else it'll just stay, stay like this. But I want to do is start using super progressive. What I feel like I do with my content, especially through the interviews is bring longtime lovers of this music closer to the music they love. So it's like, you love Hernan Catania. I'm going to make an interview where you can really feel like you're like learning more about him. But I just want to take that to the next level entirely. So like all my efforts, especially like in the live event space, are going to be focused towards um, bringing in real life, like a super progressive event is somewhere where you're going to go to get even more access to your favorite DJs, whether that's just like a more intimate setting or like a, a just like a, uh, you know, live interview format. Like I'm hesitant to say, I, I don't want to just put out things that I'm not going to do, but yeah, I, I am actively working like with, with like legitimately working on ways to bring the feeling of talking to your favorite DJ in the comment section of Super Progressive into real life. Almost like an audience with. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, so things are coming. I'm just hesitant to be like, be there on this date because, but the trip to Manchester was massive with seeing basically how passionate, if you go to the right spots, I'm saying, there's a market for for people who want to know even more and more and more and more about this music. So I'm going to like meet them there and try and do, you know, super progressive events um, and see where that takes us. But yeah, that's like, it's really just about bringing the experience of being in like a super progressive comment section with huge fans, huge DJs, but like in real life in a space. So we'll see, we'll see what, uh, well, I'm excited. To oh, hopefully sure. someone's down to partner with me on it. Cause yeah, I yeah. have this whole presentation about what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. His, I've just got a few ideas. Bang. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's how like these things normally go. Like it's like, Oh, I was thinking we could do this, 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 this. And hopefully within one of those things, someone sees something they're like, but yeah, bro. Well, listen, I'll, I'll drop all the links on this podcast, um, in all the posts and, and, what you get up to it's uh like i said it's it's been a lovely friendship that we've we've started from like you say other sides of the world and um i wish you the best of luck with all the stuff you're gonna do so yeah we'll 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 tidy this up and do what we do behind the scenes and then we'll we'll get it out there but thanks very much will it's um bro thank you this is uh it's my first time ever being interviewed for a podcast so this was oh. like a dream come true for me it went awesome, dude. It's nice. It's it's fun to talk to another podcaster because uh, sometimes you got to peel layers back of the onion. But you know, over yeah, the course yeah. of an interview, but not not here. This is chill. I thought this was great, bro. These are how my interviews. I wish my interviews went, and they don't. But that's because we're also good friends now too. Like I get yeah. that. No, this was uh, 
this was lit. Thank you so much for your time, Will. And, yeah, um, no, this was this was great, bro. I'm sorry I couldn't go longer, but I felt like that was no, actually no, a good no, conversation. No. It, was, it was perfect. So yeah. yeah, we'll we'll speak very soon. And yeah, uh, definitely. Just what's at me, bro. I'll be uh I'll be around and I'm stoked to see how this comes out. Cool. All right, mate. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah, keep it real, bro. Peace. Yeah, see you later. Bye. Bye.